but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough Hi everyone, welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm James. I'm Jonathan. And we didn't really expect to be here this week, did we? No, this was supposed to be a week off. And I... and some shit just went down. The title of this episode is Get That Shit Out of Here, which applies to what we're going to be talking about now, which is the ATP Young Gen Milan draw. But also, it's the words that Coco Vandewey had for Eula Gerges' serve in the final of mm-hmm. Zhuhan. Yeah. So you, you can't say that we don't give Coco credit where it's due. <laughs> so we were prompted to record this week in part because a few people reached out on Twitter kind of asking for our opinion, seeing if we would talk about this draw ceremony fiasco on the show. And uh, I have to say, we are very flattered when that happens. And I certainly don't take it lightly that that people actually reach out and ask for my opinion about things, which is still crazy, even after three years. Considering that you don't normally have to be asked to give it. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so what happened? So, next-gen finals in Milan. Zverev has pulled out. There's eight players. Some exciting players. Can be an interesting event. The draw ceremony just... I mean, what a colossal fuck-up that was. Well, there was drama surrounding the event to begin with because of all the tweaks and changes that were being made to the format. What is it? Best of five, but first of four games. Right. Electronic line calling, uh, no lets on serves. On-court coaching. Right. The headset thing. And then they one re- thing that I... Sorry. They revealed the court and the doubles lines are gone, which I've always found to be a cool aesthetic. Mm-hmm. That part I liked of it. And the the analytics aspect, able to see on a tablet... Uh, some of the stats in the middle of the match. That's kind of cool. I don't know if it should be expanded across across the sport, but it is kind of a cool use of data in a sport that is, is sorely lacking in it. But the point being that from the start, from its inception, this event has had a lot of drama surrounding it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people having opinions, being resistant to the supposed changes that are being made as possibly a start of more changes to come sport-wide, mm-hmm. right? And so we get to Milan. As you said, Zverev is not there. And they have this draw ceremony where there's just... A- okay, so let me get this right. How I understood it, and in the video, it looks like each player is meant to choose a model, and then the model will pull... Well, I think the first two come out, the top two seeds, Hachinava and somebody else, come out with a model each, and then they Uh are determined to be Group A and Group B to begin with. And then afterward, each player chooses a model who then walks the runway with them, and then they reveal which group by pulling something out of their clothes. Yeah. And the type of revelation varied. There were a few strip teases. Uh, one bump and grinding. One young woman pulled a letter out of her under her dress area, which was charming. <laughs> uh, the whole spectacle was just so so bizarre, and the guys looked 
incredibly uncomfortable. Um, it was just a weird, just a weird, weird thing. And you imagine how, like, how many checks did this go through before it was approved? I imagine there had to be some sort of rehearsal, right? At least with the the organization present. Then you also consider that the music that's being played while this is all happening. So there's a gyrating, the stripping, the pulling the letters out of private parts against the backdrop of Annie Lennox's, or is it the Eurythmics? Yeah. The Eurythmics Sweet Dreams. So <laughs> Sweet Dreams are made of these letter A pulled out of my vagina. Stop. No. We should not be laughing. I'm not laughing. You're laughing. I am laughing because you just said vagina. <laughs> and I wasn't going to go there. I thought that was very crude. Mm. I mean, Denis Shapovalov is 18 and a half years old. Yeah. And he's out here on this stage having a woman gyrate on him. Okay. I'd, in I'm an not, official ATP scenario. Yeah. I'm like, not this really is a with workplace. you. I'm not with you on the age thing because he's an adult and this spectacle would be inappropriate for a player of any age. Yes. Right? Like, absolutely. He's but grown. This, is, this is still. Another layer added to it, Mm. to my mind. Yeah. Because the whole business of this event is the next gen. These are young men moving into adulthood, right? Right. And so you're having this ceremony, this ritual, where you're ushering these boys into manhood through this uh, tale as old as time entitlement to women's bodies. Mm -hmm. It's literally come out here, choose your woman. And have them perform for you please you and most importantly do it with their bodies mm-hmm. right like the the information you're trying to seek in this situation is literally coming from the woman's body i mean it's like a perfect metaphor of you know the the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden i just why did they have to do this at the end of the season i am so tired and out of outrage like i can barely bring myself to to put together a segment about this because it's so silly and stupid it's such an unforced error. Like, they did not have to do this. The, the, exa- the explanation was that they wanted to bring together the rich fashion history of Milan with tennis, hence the fashion show. Right. Where was the fashion? But even watching it, I didn't get that at all. No. First of all, where was the fashion? Those women were not dressed as high fashion models. No. Not trying to be shady or bitchy to them. <laughs> no, not at all. But, like, if the idea is we're talking about Milan's fashion history. That's not what that was. I, I don't know what that was. To and me, we're also talking about a, an industry that's always been exploitative of women. Well, that of in itself is not something to celebrate. Now, to me, this is in keeping with the whole evolution of this event. From the inception, there's always this sort of renegade spirit, but it was, it was like a corporate branded version of renegade that... There are things about tennis that need to be changed. We need to play with a format. We need to do all these cool, edgy things. And it didn't seem like it was coming from anywhere genuine. It's solving a problem that doesn't really exist. And so this was just another kind of stupid decision in a series of possibly stupid decisions. Because outside of, maybe maybe this can explain why they did it, but outside of Tennis Insiders, who really pays attention to the draw ceremony? How many people 
as casual fans even know that there is a draw ceremony mm-hmm. outside of just maybe some computer randomly generating something in a room. Right. You know, maybe some people don't know that this is an actual part of the tournament. The start of the tournament, the draw ceremony is a thing. Maybe the fact that they thought that nobody would be watching, it would be more like a, a closed circuit scenario. I don't know. I mean, the one uh, video that we saw of it was kind of grainy. Right. Like, like it's it was not a- like it's a mass circulated event. Mm-hmm. And now it's being covered by newspapers and websites all over the world as this fiasco, right? And you also have Italians out here on Twitter saying, wow, we're so embarrassed because they feel that it it makes people believe some of the worst stereotypes of Italian culture, right? This prevalent sexism, this degrading of women, literal objectification, making women into an object. And so it's embarrassing for them. And there was a lot of passing the buck at first, right? The ATP said, we didn't know about it. The Federation of Italian Tennis said they didn't know about it. And then eventually the next day, Red Bull and the ATP released this joint statement and said, here's what we were trying to do. It didn't work. We're so sorry about the offense that was caused and it won't happen ever again. Which, okay, as far as corporate apologies go, it's pretty typical. If you were apologizing to your girlfriend or boyfriend, it would be pretty bad. Question for you, do you think Alex Verov is glad he dodged a bullet or sad he missed out? <laughs> I think Alex Verov was probably sitting there with his feet up like, wow, I'm so happy I don't have I to do this. I think what he was doing was browsing Jeannie Bouchard's Instagram. What? And making comments. What is this Did slanderous accusation? Today? No. He was out here on Jeannie's Instagram. We know what Jeannie's Instagram is about. She's all about showing off her body. Mm-hmm. You know, that's her prerogative. That's what she wants to do. When, as long as you have it, you know, it doesn't last forever, so use it. Jeannie puts out this picture of her maybe on a boat of some sort with a hat on, and she's in a bikini, and she says, learning to pose with my new hat. And then Zverev comments, because the hat is the obvious reason for this picture. And That is um, so bitchy, Sasha. First of that's all, really bitchy. Sasha, why were you on her Instagram? What were you there for? And don't tell me you weren't there to look at that picture knowing what her Instagram is like. So he was obviously there for the hat. Right? So don't don't come with that rubbish. And so Jeannie goes on his Instagram and Mr. Sasha posts this thing about fan favorite awards saying it would really mean a lot if you guys would vote. Only a few days left. And Jeannie writes not voting. <laughs> That's actually kind of funny. It is. And you know what? He had it coming because mind your own goddamn business. Mm-hmm. I think this is a little bit of like flirtatious chirping. I just look at it look at it as like a, a little boy just not minding his own business. Like I, I see in that <laughs> behavior so many interactions with really young men and immaturity. Mm. You know, like okay, I feel like it's meant to be funny. You're injecting a lot into this, and you don't perhaps, know either perhaps. of them. I think maybe he's trying to be funny and it's just not funny. It's actually kind of To you. Yeah, to me. Fine. To me. I just don't. Yet another strike. Mm. Wow. Your question was, is Alex happy that he was not part of the ceremony? Probably. But the idea that Sasha would play this event and then go to London and play starting possibly on Sunday or at the latest Monday, that's crazy. So he clearly couldn't play both. Uh, but he did call up the organizers and offer to play an exhibition against Tsitsipas, who is the first alternate, like the first reserve. 
And apparently they asked, how much do you want? He said nothing. Oh. Like, wow. All right, that's classy. It is. So erase that strike for now. It doesn't quite cancel it out, but whatever. <laughs> okay, wh where are we at with this, with this draw ceremony? I don't want to harp on it forever, but there's definitely something to be taken from this. I think the organization itself, the ATP, has not been a great champion of its of its sister organization, the WTA, right? This is where this event gets framed. Because if we had an ATP that was supportive of the WTA, had players, high prominent high profile players who weren't working actively to undercut mm -hmm. women's tennis at every turn then this could be taken as a one-off anomaly. Right. But instead, I view it as an extension of the culture that the ATP and its players actively cultivate. And that can be taken to be an extension of society at large, perhaps. But the ATP as a governing body, as the head of its tour, sets the tone for what it expects and will tolerate from its players and as a sport in general. Mm -hmm. And they have shit the bed time and time and time again. And so when folks want to, and I've seen, to be fair, not a lot, but a few people who are saying this is blown out of proportion, I, you know, this is where I will not issue a free pass or be light on it because mm -hmm. this is, these are the, the seeds that you've sown. This is reflective of you. This is not a one-off, oh, we won't do it again, it was a mistake. This is, this is who you are. And I look to the NBA and the WNBA as a as an example of how high profile star male athletes can support the female version of their mm -hmm. sport, basically. And of course, it's a different situation. It's the organizations are set up quite differently. But men's tennis does benefit year round from joint tournaments with women. And there's simply no arguing that from a financial perspective. Shall we move on to Zhuhai? Okay. So Yulia Gurgis, man, she like she's been having a great season, but the last few weeks of this season for her has been amazing. That power game is is fearsome when it's on. She can blow a lot of people off the court, but she has some guile. She has a nice slice. She has touch. That massive forehand. I mean, I remember watching a night session at the Rogers Cup a few years ago. I believe it was Gerges against Radvanska. That night when Radvanska wore that black gold, yes, shimmy, yes. glittery getup. I feel like the mother of a solid gold dancer. Exactly. Remember and where that's from? No. Golden Girls. Oh. <laughs> I remember watching that match and thinking, why is this woman not better than she is? Mm -hmm. Because she's got a lot of game. But in that match, you could see that she was unable to just keep it together mentally it seemed that while she had right. the 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 game it seemed she wasn't able to put it all together and something has clicked this year she went 4-0 in Zhuhai she won all all matches in straight sets she beat Rybarikova Mladenovic Sevastova and then Vandeweghe in the final and she's riding a nine match winning streak based on the Zhuhai results and then before that winning the title in Moscow mm -hmm. And so now she has a career-high ranking of number 14 at age 29. Yeah, I, she's been out here for a long time making noise. And I'll note that that nine-match winning streak matches her career best. And 
Whenever I think of Yulia Gurgis, I go back to when Wozniacki was world number one and Gurgis had her number. <laughs> she beat her at a few high-profile events, I think, in the spring of either 2010 or 2011. And she was somebody to watch, right? She was slaying Caroline all over the place that year. And she continues to have a five and four head-to-head against Caroline, who just won Singapore. So I think that that's kind of a nice bookend. Gerges is also the type of player that will give Caroline trouble. Yes. And we've seen that with mm-hmm. her head-to-head against Venus, too, notwithstanding the right. final in Singapore. And I'm also not comparing Gerges to Venus in that they are of the same <laughs> caliber. But that kind of sustained, accurate power game can mm-hmm. be a bit too much for Caroline right. at times. Now, Gerges showed quite a bit of fortitude within that match against Colleen in the final, right? She went down uh, 1-4... 2-5, and then 3-5. Yeah, I went to bed set. with it at 3-5. Colleen was serving for the first set. Right. And then I woke up to check the score, and Colleen only won one more game the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. And one point on Yulia's serve in the second set. One point. That's Yulia's biggest weapon, right? Her serve but, is renowned right. to be one of the best on tour. But you'd think a big hitter like Coco could could salvage more than that, right? So after Coco loses the game, serving for the first set at 5-3, right? It, um, it gets back on serve, 5-5. It eventually, eventually at the end of that first set, Gerges is serving and she tosses up a, a bit of a sitter of a, a second serve. Mm-hmm. And Colleen whacks it for a winner. Yeah, just a devastating And then she starts return. walking to the other side of the court and turns her head back to Yulia's direction and screams, get that shit out of here. Like a monster. I, li- I can't even imitate it for you because I'll bust this microphone. <laughs> if you have a chance, please watch highlights from that match because she turned into a veritable demigorgon. Oh my God. For those of you who watch Stranger Things, she opened up her jaw and just screamed. And you know what? That's really low class. Get that shit out of here. You have, You're losing. Right here you have written money can't buy you class. Mm-hmm. And you better listen to that and repeat it. I'll say it again for those in the back of the church. Money can't buy you class. The Vandaways have, you know, all these famous people, beauty queens. The tennis elite just absolutely love the family. They're into the pedigree. But, listen, money and connections cannot buy you good manners. And that's what we see time and again with Colleen. That's what I have to say about that. Okay. This is me in defense of Coco. Wow. At this, at this juncture. In that I want to posit a few questions okay, to push back at that in terms of how we viscerally react to her. Rhetorical or no, questions serious for me? No, serious questions. Okay. Is it because she is not particularly feminine in her aesthetic and physicality? Mm. That she's a jock? That we find that threatening in some way? That we find that kind of outburst more disgusting? Because it's coming from a woman and not a man. Oh, do you, do you want me to answer yes, that? Yes, I do. For the first question, I will I will concede that her physicality and the way that she performs gender can be off-putting to some people. Because that reaction is not something that we think about, right? Correct. That's a difficult question. It's something I've it thought is. about myself. And, but like, the second part of your question... Men who behave like that, I don't like that either. 
And I mean, I think we've we have receipts on that. We've shown that the players who I admire, Rafa Nadal, for example, even Andy Murray, with all his crazy shit, would never would never scream at an opponent like that, saying, "Get that shit out of here." I don't want to say that because I don't know all of Andy's <laughs> receipts. <laughs> I'm not gonna put myself okay. out there like that. Andy has a lot going for him. I don't know if that's necessarily one of them right. because he does have no, but most his of outbursts. his outbursts are self-directed okay and the worst thing that he said to someone was everybody hates you to lucas russell and that was no tino shade uh, well no it was just like it's a bad look you're losing you just lost the first set you're trying to stay in this match great and you punish a second serve badly you hit a great shot and as something takes over you that you have to scream that it's just it's this is this is tennis and i hate to sound like a prude and a snob but this is not basketball like you didn't just dunk on her to the alt-right listeners who may <laughs> if posit, there are any left <laughs> who may posit this question as well how do you reconcile your admonishment of coco in this situation with serena's u.s mm-hmm. open outburst and can you oh the U.S. potentially Open Australian would would the the shove it down your throat? Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, I I think you could pick better ones. Okay. The the U.S. Open outburst we have been through so many times. I didn't condone it at the time, and I don't now. Mm-hmm. She paid her price. She served her time, and but those this those, has passed. Those actions. Mm-hmm. Like what's what's the difference between the two? Well, um, she didn't direct it at her opponent. I don't think it's great to direct it at an official, <laughs> paid official either, trying to do her job. I believe that that official was wrong, but okay. that doesn't that doesn't excuse what Serena did. And I'm not here to relitigate what that what that whole thing was. Okay, so set aside that mm-hmm. specific incident. That's okay. been one of the the knocks on Serena over the years, right? right? Or the the supposed gamesmanship or the drama. See, I think that what Coco does exceeds drama and is just bad bad sportsmanship that's all that's all you got i don't yeah that's all i got i don't like it i'm trying to get you to a point where you just say i don't like her well i don't and that's (laughs) not a secret and if we're being honest a lot of that is because of her politics and i reserve that right okay i I just tried to complicate her a little bit Mm -hmm. and i i appreciate that and we are a podcast who should be talking about stuff like that now, is there anything about Coco's game that you would be complimentary about? Yes, yes, and I'm glad you asked because I try. Well, we try our best to be fair, at least. I I don't think we've been entarily fair to Coco over this past year. Um, are you like on the count? No, 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 no. I'm not on the bandwagon. Mm-hmm. It's not so much about being fair. It's about within the context of what we what you just said, trying to be fair as a podcast right an objective or whatever we have not been that to Colin yes we not that we necessarily have a problem with that we are very subjective yes but we're open about that yes put it that's what I'm trying to get that bias correct maybe we have not been entirely fair Mm -hmm. but to be fair TBF in this situation yeah uh, I mean Colleen made the top 10 it's no accident she had a great year at the majors she has a really good volley she has touch at the net. Her volleying is so impressive. It's it so, really is. It's some of the easiest, precise volleying I've mm-hmm. seen on tour. 
Yeah. And, and for somebody who's bigger in stature and, you know, more imposing, moving forward to the net, she does it so seamlessly. Yes, I agree. And, you know, I, I like, I just love the power game. Like, the women's power game is something I really like. So her attack mode is impressive. But I think that her brain gets in the way a lot. Like, it's her own worst enemy. Aside from the sort of the intangibles, she has an impressive game, and it can get her really far. Just one of which the biggest, we've seen. biggest serves on tour, one of the biggest forehands, mm-hmm. the backhand. Everything is powerful. Right. Her movement is probably the weakest aspect of her game. Yeah. But she's... But you can... You can sort of fudge that. I mean, less so, I think, in 2017 WTA. But for a long time, Lindsay Davenport's movement wasn't great. And it was never amazing, but it got better. But she's shown this year a desire to improve and get better, to get to the next level. Yes. So I think for folks who are really opposed to cocoa, you may want to take a few anti-cocoa pills (laughs) heading into 2018 because... It's entirely possible she could be busting out. Oh, I, I I, don't think we need to go that far. I'm not ready for all of that. I'm never going to like her, but I can acknowledge what works in her game. I think, unfortunately, opponents can figure her out if they stick with her long enough. And she even wrote about that in the Players' Tribune about her match against Venus at, in the Australian Open. She said that Venus and Serena are smart players and they will figure you out on changeovers and in between sets. Like, if they haven't been successful in the first set, they're going to find the parts of your game or wear you down. Which is exactly what happened in the semifinal in Australia. It was. Because Venus changed her tactics Mm -hmm. and just did the job, thankfully. Right. Her experience and her smarts came through. And Coco, like a player who I really like, Madison Keys, is very, very erratic. And even in really good matches, we'll have stretches that are that are just confusing. Who did you lose to in uh, at Wimbledon? The was Rebar- it Rabarkova? Yeah. That match was when they came back from the the rain delay, mm-hmm. and Coco was supposed to be favorite because it was now indoors. She just could not find the court. Yeah, which was just shocking. I assumed that when the roof closed, it's this is all Coco. That was just a scare. Can we talk about Ash? Ash Barty? Top 20 Ash Barty. Right. She's world number 17, her career high. Um, she made the semifinals of Zhuhai, winning both of her round robin matches. She beat Kerber and Pavlyuchenkova, who's been kind of on a roll lately. But cheers to Ash Barty. I th- she's just on the upswing. I think people are starting to notice. And she, start- she seems to really be enjoying herself. Mm-hmm. Back to the men's. The men's, so the Paris Masters, I don't know if you've heard of it, it's a small event that happens every fall. Uh, it's kind of like a... We mocked it it's, endlessly on the last episode. Mm-hmm. The draw is is good for a 500, but unfortunately it is a Masters event. And Jack Sock is your winner. <laughs> Again, are you going to make me stick up for someone I don't really want to stick up for? Is this <laughs> like the, pro, the Make America Great Again podcast? I just stated... Mm-hmm. The fact. True. So we slagged this event even before it happened. I called it the Masters that time forgot. Guy Forget was out here. I mean, he didn't even need to be asked about his opinion because he continued to give it freely. 
He was also talking about Rafa's withdrawal. He gave a walkover to who? Krajinovich. Mm-hmm. And he said, Rafa apologized so much, da 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 and Roger couldn't even come. It's like, wow. Well, he didn't say all of that to make that connection between Rafa and Roger, but he mm. did go on to say about how Rafa apologized like 15 times, and somehow that made his withdrawal much more palatable than Roger not showing up. Right. And it was... Uh, he was just doing the most all week. Jack Sock is now a top 10 player. We spent some time in our early years discussing whether Jack Sock could make the top 10. Mm-hmm. I remember it being a topic of conversation that came up a few times. Yeah. And you particularly watched him play a few times when he was younger, and you're like, wow, this guy is actually really talented. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of assumed that he was just never going to make the next step. Mm. And we also talked at one point that, so what if he doesn't care about putting in the effort required to be a Federer and a doll or somebody ranked top four? Not everybody has a desire or the makeup to do that, and that doesn't mean that their career is unworthy. You know, that if he's content with being a top 30 player and making a couple million a year, and then if that's good enough for him, then so be it. Right. And here he is in the top 10, having a, a pretty solid year, but getting a whole lot of points from a depleted field, let's be honest. Yeah, I, I mean, several things are true. He won a Masters 1000 event. He beat everyone who came before him, and he did that. He grabbed that title. The other thing that is true is that the draw was just not, it wasn't there. It was not up to scratch, what we normally expect from a Masters event. But you can't take the title away from him. You know, he did what he was supposed to do to win this tournament. He, I mean, probably, his toughest opponent was Luca Pui, who's a top 16 player. He beat Kyle Edmund. Uh, there was Verdasco, who was kind of su- a surprising quarterfinalist. Benito, who was the French fairy tale pick to you know, win his first tournament ever and do it on home soil in what's going to be his last full year on tour. And then Krajinovich in the final. And Paris does, it has a history of, because it's at the end of the season and people are tired and people withdraw, withdraw, it does have some surprising winners and finalists. So Ferrer won his, I believe his only Masters title here. And Grosjean won. Grosjean was a former top 10 player and Wimbledon semifinalist, I think. But runner-ups, we have Herbati, Pavel, Janovic, and Stepanek. So those are all slightly surprising finalists. Krajinovic, he knocked out Query and Isner. And by beating both of them in this tournament, stopped their hopes of getting to London. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine knocking two people out of contention for the World Tour Finals? He's now ranked 25. He was 234 to start the year. And he's up... No, when I say he's now 25, he's 25 years old. Mm-hmm. But he was ranked 234 to start the year, and he's up 44 spots to number 33 with this wow. result. Wow. When like, he's not really a, close to a seeded player at a He's not a slam. spring chicken. When I say a spring chicken, like... This is not a bust-out young player, per se, but mm-hmm. it's in keeping with what we see on the ATP these days, where this is a time when players have their big breakthroughs right. in their 24 to 26 age range. Spare a thought, though, for Julian Benito, because he he had the crowd behind him. This would have been the fairy tale ending to his career, even though he says he's going to play a little bit into next year. Mm-hmm. It's the last time he's playing Paris. 
people always talk about the Julian Benito title watch. Right. He's never won an ATP title. And for somebody who's been ranked as high as, I want to say, mid-20s or like 32, somewhere around there. Must be. He must have been in the 20s. Yeah. Uh, that's that's surprising. And he's got he's got game. He's got a beautiful game to watch. Mm-hmm. He serves and volleys a lot. I remember watching him in, in Toronto against Leighton Hewitt, beating Hewitt easily in Hewitt's last year. Mm. And... There's something unassuming and aesthetically pleasing about his game, but you can see where he struggled to break through because he doesn't have the weapons right. in any one particular department to threaten the top guys. Mm-hmm. But at 35, this would have been it would have been perfect and, and fitting with the tenor of 2017, where we've had these this spate of older players having top results. Right. And I mean, we got a shocking finalist out of. And a shocking winner out of this tournament. Rafael Nadal won his first round match against Chung and consequently wrapped up world number one, year end number one, this regardless is, of whether he even plays in London. Mm-hmm. This is one of the big news from the week that kind of got swept under mm-hmm. the rug because of how his tournament ended. He ended up withdrawing against Krajinovic, which then pushed Krajinovic to the semis. And I was actually watching that match against playing Cuevas in that second match. And I'm watching in the... I was on a break from work and I was watching it. And I'm thinking, well, this is pretty ho-hum, 6-3 the first set. Doesn't look to be playing that great, but is still getting the job done. And then these horrible volleys in the second set. Mm. Indicative of somebody not able to bend the knee as much as right. they, they would normally want to. And loses a second set in a tiebreak. Comes back out in the third with the knee taped or strapped. And you're like, well, yeah, this makes perfect sense. And it's a, it's the same thing that happened to him toward the end of Shanghai. Right. And we saw him definitely at less than full tilt against Federer in that final. And here we are again. He withdrew for the following round. Says he's making every effort to get to London. He, he wants to play... He's traveled to London today, today being Wednesday. He's there. He's doing the press. And they've done the draw already. Mm -hmm. He's in the draw, and he says he's going to make every effort to play, so we'll see. Man, okay, so back to your end number one. This is the fourth time Rafa will have it. He's the oldest player to ever hold the year end number one. At 31. And he actually asked a reporter, are you sure? Because you think that surely Agassi should. Right. And in those... In that, what is it, 2001 to 2003 range? Yes. And he, he did have year-end number one, I think, in in one of those years, but I guess he wasn't quite old enough. He just seemed old. <laughs> it was that bald head. But the knee wrapping is triggering for Nadal fans, obviously. Where do you stand? I mean, he clearly wants to play London. I and a lot of other fans out there... Wouldn't be too heartbroken if he withdrew and kind of saved his body. He says he's done testing. He's seen the doctor. The doctor says there's no additional damage or strain to the tendon in the knee, that there's no possibility of making it worse, Mm. supposedly. So it's just going to hurt. Yeah, I just don't, I don't see how he would take that risk with his career moving forward at 31 if there was really that big of a risk to him playing. Right, right. So, I mean, he must know. (laughs) <laughs> I suppose he, after all these years, he knows his body. He's had an amazing year, but it is a little heartbreaking that he may not be able to compete at full tilt now because of his body again. You know, let mm-hmm. down by his knees. 
because he is in otherwise a great position to have a much better fall than he has ever had in yeah. his entire career. He's had the chance to possibly win Shanghai, win Paris, two events he'd never won before, correct? Mm-hmm. And his body let him down. Right. He may, he may, he may very well still have lost to Federer in that Shanghai mm-hmm. final. But definitely Paris was there for the taking. Yeah. And it kind of leaves a less than sparkling sheen on what's been an otherwise great season. You know, that he's having to kind of stutter to the finish line. Right. That's the thing about the post-US Open part of both tours, is that if if you don't adapt well to the indoor surface, and which are, which are typically super fast courts, and we've seen our haven't actually been this season, but if you don't adapt well, it does kind of, you end your season on a bum note, right? Regardless of the many achievements you've had over the year. He's won more matches than anybody on hard courts this year. Mm-hmm. With, so you can see why his knees are troubling him, right? And he's played, he won Beijing, he's played probably more in the fall than he is used to, and more than I was expecting, actually. So we'll see. The draw came out today. The Sampras group and the Becker group. Every Man, tournament has a different person heading the group. You know, like the Borg group, <laughs> the McEnroe Borg, group. Now, Borg, McEnroe, that's cute. Oh, okay. I would say Becker and Edberg would be a better fit, but whatever. If I were drawn into the Becker group, you, I would... If you're doing this, it's a Sampras Agassi World Tour Finals group. Well, yeah. And those two had played that event for many, many years. I would think that... that Maybe they I, thought it was too too much to have two Americans. I think Becker is out there with his handout looking for some money. Right. To stave Are, off the creditors. Has he copyrighted the Becker name? Does he get paid <laughs> every time it's... I mean, if I were drawn into the Becker group, I would ask for a recount, please. The Sampras group has Nadal, Team, Dimitrov, and Goffin. And then the Becker group has Federer, Zverev, Chilich, and Sock. Yeah, so the Becker group is a lot tougher from my perspective. Sock is going to come in on a roll. Zverev can't really win a match lately, but Federer is there. I think that that group is tough. The Sampras group, Nadal, is questionable physically. Team has won like one match since the US Open, something like, like he literally cannot win a match. Dimitrov, uh, I mean, Dimitrov can beat everyone except for Nadal, but if Nadal is hobbled, then he might make it out of that group. Can he beat Federer? I don't think that's happened either. Oh, no. No, I mean, oh, I mean he, could, he could make it out of the group. Oh, okay. But, I thought you I were mean, making a more general No, statement. but like who is standing in Federer's way to win this tournament? I fully expect to see him lift the trophy. I mean, uh, he could easily lose in the group stage. But he hasn't. Okay. I'm just Recently, saying you know, that Zverev and Chilich could, could easily beat him, I think. I don't know if easily. They, it could happen. But you know what I mean. I don't yeah. think it's a, a foregone conclusion. I think you're overstating that. Okay. I will be very surprised if I don't see Federer winning this tournament. I will say this draw is... Uh, I don't want to be rude, but it's... God, it's so underwhelming. Don't you think? It's uh, It's missing... <laughs> Some some big time players. Favrinka, Mari, Djokovic, Ishikori. Del Potro I mean Del Potro's really up there as among the best players. Yeah, I think Del Potro <laughs> failing to win that match in Paris. He was one set away from qualifying for London and he wasn't able to do it. Yeah. He it's would have added a, a lot more flavor to that event. Yeah, it's if just not a super interesting Federer and Del Potro in that in that group section again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, stay tuned. Maybe London will be interesting, but I'm not super optimistic right now, and I'm so sorry. You are going to take a quiz right now. Okay. 
What's it about? It's about WTA titles in 2017. Oh, God. Okay. Well, not so much titles, but the season in general. Mm. All right. See if I was paying attention. There's 12 questions. A couple of them are multiple choice. Then there's stuff where you're going to have to name players, where there's multiple answers to the same question. Whatever. Mm. Are you ready? Yeah, just, just lay it on me. How many different WTA singles champions have there been in 2017? What? A... 43, B, 37, C, 39. So these are like tour tour level tournaments. Yes. The f- wait, what are the options? 40 th- 43, 37, or 39? 39. 43. Okay. Those were really close together. You could have spaced those out <laughs> a little more. This player leads the WTA with 11 doubles titles in 2017. Martina Higgins. Letitia Chan. <laughs> <laughs> Are you serious? That was designed to get a Hingis answer. Yep. And you oh, failed. You didn't God. even think about it. Nope, I did not. This player led the WTA in prize money with $5.4 million. Venus. Correct. Whew. Man, if I got that wrong. Including singles, doubles, and mixed, which country won the most titles in 2017? With 19. Czech Republic. Correct. They have a deep bench. 13 players won their first singles title in 2017. Name three. Barty. Correct. Ostapenko. Correct. Um, and the last one's going to be hard. And I want to say Christina Pliskova. No. Oh, God. Okay. Lauren Davis, Sinyakova, Mertens, Ladenovic, Kazetkina. Vondrusova, Kantavite, Gavrilova, Diaz, Vanitvank, and Wittoft. Okay, wow. Chad is going to be so mad that I miss Lauren Davis. <laughs> His boo. <laughs> so you got, what, two out of three for that one? And was Kazakina's first title Charleston? Uh, I believe so, yes. Oh, that's a good one then. They were both playing for their first title. Yes. And then, well, I mean, you can't beat the drama of winning your first title at the French Open. Five players entered the top ten for the first time. Name three. Colleen. Colleen Garcia. And... Oh, um, Mladenovic? Yes. So all three were right. But you should have gotten Ostapenko and Svetlina. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Okay. Still, I was still right. That was an easy question. I don't know why you have to put me down. It was an easy question. I'm just saying you struggled (laughs) on an easy question. I'm afraid because I answered so quickly... On that doubles question, I got it wrong, so... Mm. Five players held the number one ranking in singles and doubles. Five each. Oh, in 2017. Oh, okay. Yeah. So ten players overall. Mm. Name them. Name all of them? Name all ten. Okay, so I'll do singles first. Kerber, Williams, Kamas, Pliskova, Mugrutha, Halep. That's five. In doubles... Um, Hingis, Chan. Yeah. Shavashava. Maddox Sands. No? Yeah, you've got oh, nine. Oh, okay. And the last one in doubles. Um, oh, Streetsova? Sanya Mirza, man. Really? Yeah. She was a number one doubles player post Santina. Oh. So that's but an- not for long. I don't know how long it was, but it should have been a fair... So, I mean, I did okay. I did okay. Okay. 
Elena Svitolino won the most singles titles in 2017. Mm. Name the two players joint second with three. Okay. Wow, I'm totally blanking. Pavlyuchenkova won three, right? I'm not going to tell she you did. anything. Yeah, she won three. And uh, Pliskova? Yes, you got it right. Oh, really? <laughs> she just didn't win anything important. Oh, my God. No shade. Coco lands at number 10. Gerges gets to number 14. Both are career highs. The three players between them at numbers 11 to 13 mm. are separated by 79 points. Name them. This is the year of okay. rankings. Um, Mladenovic, Sloan, and Sevastova. You got two-thirds. Oh. It's Sveta at number 12. Oh, how could I forget? Apparently you did. <laughs> now, the last three questions here. This is... I'm kind of pleased with myself for coming up with this format. Oh, great. Oh, no. I am going to tell you the path to victory, and you're going to tell mm. me who and where. Isn't, oh, that, isn't that clever? That's cute. That yeah. is cute. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll... Can I'll... I write things down? No. Like, can I mime writing, like in the spelling There's bee? There's only five people. Oh, so things. it's not a major. That have been too easy. Okay. God. <laughs> Okay, so Hadad Maya, uh-huh. Keys, Sveta, I know this one, Pliskova, and Halep. Move to Cincinnati. Yeah, that was a giveaway. We were there. That was an introduction <laughs> so that you'd be able to figure out what was going on. Okay, past. so Five. at least I got one. Yes. Shelby Rogers, uh-huh. Babosh, yeah. Kerber, Venus, Mladenovic, Sveta. Um, I think that was um, Kanta in Miami. No, no. <laughs> what was that? No, no. It was Vesnina and Indian Wells. Oh, and that's and that's sad. It, it you is, gave the wrong answer it? first, so that's an Fuck. X. That's a zero. For that's that. too bad because I actually care about Miami and I don't care about Indian Wells. <laughs> well, you lost that one, but it was. I mean, it was so. You have to give me like a half point. No, it's part of the sunshine double. You know, you answered wrong, so it's Fine. wrong. Fine. And then the last question, Sasnovich Parmentier. Mm-hmm. Arabarena, Halep, Venus, Wozniacki. Can you repeat the question, please? No. Sasnovich, something, something, Halep, Sasnovich, Parmente, Arabarena, Halep, Venus, Is there Venus, a tilde Wozniacki. over that end? I'm not I sure. never I... know. Same with Carreño Busta. Is there a tilde over there the is, end? I believe so. Oh, okay. Um, I, w- I want to say Svitolina in Dubai. Oh my God, you are so dumb. That's content Miami. That's so rude. <laughs> you know that was my answer for the last one. That's oh my that's God. unfair. That just shows that you don't really know. You were just guessing. Yeah, I was guessing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know these things at the time no, listen, because the, we talk about them, but like they just disappear from my head. But this, there were six, six people in the yeah. path, so it had to have been isn't, one of those big tournaments. Isn't Dubai like a long tournament or something? It's not like an Indian Wells oh. or a Miami. Fine. You missed the cues, Fine. is all I'm saying. No, to tell you did well for the most I part. Did. I think. I mean, it was it was a pretty tough quiz. Actually, I think no, no, I didn't. If you didn't do that. If well. we're grading by like yeah. school standards, I'm gonna tally it right now. So by my count, you have seven and a half out of twelve. I even gave you full marks for that nine out of ten one. Oh wow, that's that's much better than I thought, and I didn't even have a chance to study. 
You always say this as the caveat. Like, yeah. That's the whole... Because I'm really good at studying. N- nobody <laughs> has a chance to study for this. <laughs> Fine. I know that there are WTA superfans out there who will do way better than I will. So, Godspeed. And this is my call, as always, whenever James takes a quiz. Do tell us what your score was. Shame him publicly. And if you did worse, please tell us. <laughs> and don't DM it. Tell all of Twitter. <laughs> that brings us to the end of a sub 60 minute episode wow conciseness brevity more the opposite of what twitter is more now. more brief than we've been in the past for sure yeah for real like this 120 mm. what is it one 280 i don't like it Nah. if you can't say it in 140 or a thread like don't as if twitter weren't problematic for narcissists to begin with <laughs> People who spew every single thought that comes to their mind. I'm sure I'm guilty of that. But then we don't need to be giving them twice as much space to do it. it I know. It absolutely clutters the timeline. Well, that brings us to the end of episode 102. I'm Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. And I'm James. You can find me at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. And we are at The Body Serve on both Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you post-London. Till next time. 